We are uh, kind of at the end of uh, chapter 23. It's been a somewhat, I guess, fun run at it. We've, we began the beginning of the year kind of saying like this is a, a new year, and so it's, it's an arbitrary date, and other than we have to, it's another year. So it's a marker. And what it does is it gives us, it gives us a, a mile marker. It gives us an ability to, uh, to look and pause and say, okay, what happened before? What happened after? Where, what, where were we before? Where are we now? And, and you kind of can look back at it. And I began this year saying, okay, these are the, the last kind of bit of Jesus' teaching. And he focuses in very clearly on, on the religious system that's in place and kind of attacks it rigorously through the individuals that have led this. And then after this, he, he speaks about his last teaching is about kind of the end times and the future and what that looks like for his kingdom. But, but this is the last bit of teaching he's done. And so we've talked about how this year I wanted to encourage all of us to, to maybe make a commitment to desire to be authentic. This year we want to we say, okay, this year I'm going to live a life with more authenticity. And, and the reason why I brought that up is because although the, the Pharisee group, 200 B.C., 300 B.C. began, they began with the, the purpose and the idea of, of helping and leading all of, all of God's people to a right understanding and life of following his commands. And so the purpose was, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna teach his commands, we're going to focus on them, we're going to uphold those, we're going to be the people that others can look to and say, this is what you do, and this is how you go forward. And I made the joke a few weeks ago that if, if any one of us had walked into that room, you know, they're sitting around, um, I picture a dark room, you know, they're thinking, this is how we're going to get back to God's word, and this is how we're going to bring everyone back. If any one of us had walked in and said, hey, excuse me, guys, just so you know, you're going to start this whole religious party. You're going to gain traction. You're going to get following, and most people are going to see you as leaders. But when the Messiah comes, you're going to crucify him. They would have thrown me out. They would have, they would have said, no way. They would have called me names. They would have been so angry and hostile, saying, that's not our goal. In fact, no, we, they would have disagreed until they, were, they could have disagreed as much as possible. Right? They would have said, no, we're going to be the front runners for the Messiah. We're going to be the ones that paved the way so that when the Messiah sets on scene, we're right with him, ready to go. And yet the Pharisees, over time, incremental steps, some large steps, they slowly work their way drastically away from it. And so by the time Jesus sets on the scene, they're his main opposition. They didn't want that. That wasn't what they set out in motion for. Similar, I said, for us, we maybe at the beginning of 2015, or maybe some of us need to look a few years back, or, or maybe at the beginning of, of following Jesus in our lives. When, when that moment hit, We've, we, the, the, the rush of hope and, and the peace and the understanding that, that we're not worthy of what he's given us. And, and it kind of marks, and we say, okay, if I'm so in love with Jesus now, what is a year or two or 10 years going to be like? And some of you, you said at the beginning of 2015, I want to get in shape, I want to get engaged, I want to get straight A's, I want to, and you have all these things that you chose. Well, the nice thing is at the end of the year, now you can look back and go, well, did I do it? You have, a, you have a, an easy barometer to look back and go, well, no, I didn't get straight A's. No, I'm not engaged yet. Or, man, no, I, I, I'm actually less in shape. I can't turn down donuts or whatever it may be. Like, you, 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 you can see it very clearly. I pose a question at the beginning. What about spiritually? What about with your walk with Jesus? Because it is very clear in the Bible that walking with Jesus is not a, a stationary thing. You're not just standing still and hoping you grow. It's actually an active process. And as you grow in the Lord, as you grow in understanding, you grow closer to God and looking more like Jesus Christ for his glory and not yours. 
And so there's this progression of, of growth. And, and sometimes it's leaps and bounds, and sometimes it's a slow, steady grind out, and sometimes it's, it seems like there's a couple cliffs you dropped off. And, but either way, you see this, this kind of this tri- through trials and persecution and, and understanding and time spent and, and individual relationship, you see this progression of growth with Christ. And it's done as you be led by the Spirit to do. So it's not your own strength that does this, and it's, it's the Spirit leading you to be more like Christ. But most of us, and a lot of us, maybe not most of us, a lot of us can look back at 2015 or 2014 or 13 or 12 or however far back and then fast forward to where we are and go, man, that's, that's not where I wanted to end up. Man, I, I, was, I was under the assumption that, that if I was in love with Jesus here like this in 2010, by the time 2015 was coming, watch out, world. But no, I, I took a left or a right or I don't know, I don't know exactly how I ended up here. But it was a series of incremental choices that got you to where you are, or large choices, or just blatant disregard for God's word. And it, it ended you to a spot where you are right now. And so my challenge has been, we're going to start this year out. I'm going I'm to call all of us to be more authentic. And the definition of authentic is, is just to be real, not, not to be fake. And the word hip- hypocrite began in, in, regards to, it was in regards to those that were acting. And it was a positive thing. It's say, oh, that person is such a great hypocrite. He can pretend to be someone so well. And it quickly, rapidly turned into a very negative term. And even in Jesus' day, it was extremely negative. And today, it's very, very negative as, as well. None of us raise our hand and go, I hope that I'm the best hypocrite ever today. Like, none of us aspire to that. But yet, if we're really honest in our lives, we are living that way. And that's what these woes are. That's what Jesus is doing. Now remember, woe isn't a word actually. It carries a kind of an interjection. It's a, it's a sound that carries with it both condemnation and sorrow in one hand. In the New Testament, it's predominantly used with this, here is the judgment that's coming, but here is the sadness as a part of it. It's, it's, it's equally there. And so you have this, you have this woe happening. And I, I said that we're going to define authenticity out of James 2. James 2, 18 through 22 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And James is making the case that you can't say you believe something and not live it. It doesn't make sense. That's not authentic. Yet what we've been working through these woes is a lot of us say we believe Jesus in this, but we do not allow our voices or our words to line up with it or the way that we, we deal with money to line up with it or the way that we pretend to line up with it. We see all these things where we believe this, I believe this, I believe this, but I'm acting this way. And there's this huge chasm between what we believe and how we live out. And what I've been saying since the beginning is, is, well, not what I've been saying, what the Scripture's been saying is Jesus is very clearly saying, that's hypocritical. And you can only act hypocritical for so long before someone's going to say, hey, you're a hypocrite. Or you're going to actually acknowledge, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. And what's unique about this woe, what's unique about this very woe right here is that it's actually, um, it's, the, it's the last one in this section. But we get the heart of why Jesus is saying these at the very end. But the reason why I think this one is most scary because this woe is drastically different than the other ones. In essence, this is the, this is the hypocritical action where it's no longer pretending anymore, but you actually believe that the pretend you is the real you. 
and that's the danger. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, slip your hands up, and, and can we, there's a little bit of music coming through this, so can we turn that down just a little bit? Thanks. Um, chapter 23, verse 29, and we're going to go through the end of there. Um, I want to I want to kind of, these, these last few weeks have been really, really hard, and I understand that it's, it's difficult to hear some of this stuff, but I, I want to end, I want to remind you, like, or just encourage you, stay present if you can, because the end of this is going to give you the idea and the reason why Jesus is speaking this way, and I think it's so, so key to understand. But before we do that, we're going to have to get in kind of some of this hard stuff. Okay, so Jesus starts out same way he started out on the rest of these woes. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's not a compliment, by the way, verse 29, Okay. For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding, the blood of the prophets. And so what they started out with is they start out with this idea, okay, so what they were doing is they were, they were recognizing prophets that had gone before them. And they were saying, okay, well, there were these huge, amazing prophets, Moses and all these other people that spoke before, and what they were doing is they were building monuments up for these people. And then we say these righteous people. We don't know necessarily who these specific people are, but they're people that were, that were righteous enough that everyone knew of them, but we don't necessarily have an, a specific account of them here. And they're building monuments. What they're doing is they're going back and saying, we're going to make a statue for this person. And we're going to do this. And so what they're doing, and they're doing that to try and honor them. So again, their, their motivation is right. And they say, we're going we're to honor this. But then they utter this statement. And this is, this is why this woe seems very different than the rest of them, is that you can act hypocritical. You can pretend for a very long time, and you can fake out your spouse, your family. You can fake out, fake out every single person in your, in your gospel community or, or your small group or whatever you want to call it, or you can fake out your, your neighbors. You can fake out your coworkers, your friends. You can fake out everyone for a really, really long time, but there's a point in which you're no longer pretending, and you actually just believe that you're that person. So as you pretend, as you be a hypocrite, as you pretend in a lifestyle for a while, pretty soon you get to a spot where you're like, I just am this person. And you start living out of that. And that's what's happening is these, these, these Pharisees are saying this, this statement, man, I can't believe our forefathers. I, can't, I cannot believe that they wouldn't, why would they kill these people? Why would they crucify God's messengers? Because they had the Old Testament in place. They ended in, in Chronicles. They had this, the Hebrew text that they could look at and say, I cannot believe that prophet after prophet after prophet, these Israelites, they are our people, God's chosen people, killed them. What's, what's wrong with them? Right, and for us, here's a modern day version. I don't know if you've ever done this, and I've done this, so pray for me if it's just me. But if you've ever read the story of the Exodus, and you look at the Israelites, and you're like, how in the world do those fools not believe in God? Like, right? I mean, like, seriously. They, he parts the water. They walk on dry ground. And then, like, a week later, like, I'm hungry. It would have been better to be there. Like, they're, like, so finicky. Right? I'm like, what's wrong with them? I don't know if you've ever done that, but I do. Or maybe some of us more at this, you know, we see all of these people that experience all these miracles of Jesus. Like, if Jesus would have fed 5,000 people in front of me, I totally would have believed in him. What's wrong with those people? But yet, if we actually look at our life and the way we live, what we say we believe, we're no better than them. I can't tell you how many times I've not trusted God. I've doubted his, his supreme control in my life. 
How many times I've felt like, oh, I'm just a failure and this isn't going to work or I'm just messed up or I, I stink at this or how many times I've doubted that he's actually good. I'm no better than the people walking with Jesus. I'm just as ignorant and foolish to assume that I would have done it better had I seen them there when I've seen plenty of miracles in my own life for Christ and yet I still doubt. Come on, if we're, if we're honest, we, we all wrestle with this. So what the Pharisees were doing is they were looking at their, their old text and they're saying, we would never have done that. No way. Similar to a lot of us today where we look at someone else that makes a poor decision, ah, yeah, I wouldn't have done that to my spouse. Right, you know what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't struggle that way. I can't believe so-and-so did that. I can't believe they did this. And we start holding ourselves higher than someone else all the while we're not fooling anyone except for the danger is we start fooling ourselves. And so Jesus engages in this. He says, okay, you, you say that. But then he goes on. He says, thus, good job. You, you say you won't do that. Thus, you witness against yourself. You speak against yourself. You condemn essentially yourself in this very statement that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You're just sons of them. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. That literally is like, well, go on and do what you said you were going to do. Finish the work that was started. You know a statement that's very, very similar to this? When Jesus is speaking to Judas. Well, do what you came to do. Come on, just make it happen. It's almost a statement of saying, well, nothing's going to change your mind, so just go ahead and keep on going. Fill up the measure. And then he says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, you are just, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Now, this is a really, really, really hard statement. I want to talk about it for just a second. So serpent was a common word for, for any kind of snake, a reptile in that way. Viper, however, was a viper was very common this day, was a super poisonous snake. And a lot of times they would look um, almost like a stick that was needing to be picked up for wood. And so when you're grabbing the stick to pick it up to gather for wood for a fire or something, it would turn around and bite you. In fact, we see that with the Apostle Paul, that he's bitten by one of these snakes. And then nothing happens to him in the people are like, whoa, he's a god, but that's another story. But either way, the, the point is they were very common. They were very deceitful, extremely deceitful, and very dangerous. And if you see what Jesus is doing here, this is unique, as he's saying, he's taking the very reason why the Pharisees believe, the root of what they believe is that they are God's people. They are descendants of Abraham. So they, they, they held so much high regard in the fact that they were descendants of Abraham, God's chosen people. Therefore, they could do no wrong. They were in the right spot. And they've taken that very beautiful thing that God had created in a covenantal relationship with his people, and they've exploited it. And so Jesus hits them at the most painful spot. And you know what he says? He says, he says you're sons of those murderers. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even say you're, you're the sons of, 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 of Abraham. But he says you're sons of those murders. And then he goes on and says, oh, and you're, you're, you're just the offspring of a viper. So in essence, what he's saying is he's saying to someone that understands themselves as being children of Abraham, right? Father Abraham, you know, had many sons. They, they, they wanted to be one of those, right? And he says, no, you're, you're actually a son of the devil. And then he says this rhetorical question. Well, then how then are you to escape hell? How then are you to escape that if you're a descendant of this? And what he's saying is you guys have lied to yourself so much that you believe the lie and you think it's truth and it's not true. You brood of vipers. You are dangerous. You are deceitful. 
and all that comes out of you is, is, is sin and separation from me, and it has this ending that you don't want, that you assume you aren't in. And so he goes on. So he's a brood of vipers. And he goes, well, therefore, okay, because of this, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. So he's saying, okay, well, in light of the fact that you're already at this spot, I'm sending you prophets and scribes and wise men. I'm sending you people to speak God's truth to you. I'm sending you people to help you see your ways are in error. And he says, some, some of whom you will kill and crucify, they wouldn't actually crucify. Crucifixion was a Roman thing, but this is probably speaking in the sense Jesus is lumping himself into this group here. And there were probably others that the Jews would have used the, the Romans to crucify someone. And it says, and some of you will flog your synagogue, or flog 39 whips, wishes, or whips, whips super hard, right? In your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So Jesus takes this very, very personal slam of you're not a child of Abraham. You're, you're a brood of vipers. And he says, in spite of the fact that you're there, I'm going to send you prophets and, and wise men and scribes. I'm going to send you people that can speak the truth of God to you. And you're going to kill them. And you're going to do exactly what your fathers did. Therein lies the problem. You say that you wouldn't do what they are doing, but you're going to do the exact same thing. In fact, you've already done it. We saw it with John the Baptist, where Jesus is like, looking at his watch because he knows what's coming in a couple days. He says, you, you, he, all of the blood is on you. And so what he does is he goes from Abel, our very first murder in history. You know, Cain murders Abel, he's righteous. He murders him out of, out of just jealousy. And then he, he pulls in Zechariah, which is in Second Chronicles, and there's a story of him being murdered between the altar and the temple, but Zechariah was a very, very, very common name, Okay. So, and there were a lot of, lot of people in that way. So it's, it could mean in, later, in the test, in, later in the Old Testament, but either way, I think what Jesus is doing here, despite some disagreements on scholars, is he's saying that ultimately from the very beginning to the end of the Old Testament, to the Hebrew scriptures that you understand, blood has been spilled of my righteous people. And you, you Pharisees, you religious leaders, you're still spilling blood. And so what he says is a, is a unique statement. He says, well, then, because of that, all of their blood is on you. And it's not that they're accountable for all of that. It's that they, in essence, are have to give an account for the fact that they knew all of that. So, so what he's saying is you guys, you guys saw the error in your fathers. You're perpetuating the very same thing. So out of someone that knew what they did was wrong, you're still doing the wrong. So what does that say for us today? Right, you and I have the entirety of Scripture complete and in our hands if you don't keep the one that was given out today. We have to be accountable to all of this. So we look at these Pharisees and go, I cannot believe they were so backwards. What's wrong with them? And yet we live and act the exact same 
way. This is a scary, scary text. In essence, he's saying, look, you, Bren, you, whoever you are out here, you know more than even the Pharisees did in that day. You can't claim ignorance. We know this story. We know what happens just a little short few hours after this conversation with Jesus. We have a whole holiday around it. We know what happens. We have the end of the story until he comes again. We even know that he's coming again, which is more than they understood in that day. This is all stuff that we understand. So, so we have a larger responsibility. And I feel like in some ways this text is, is even heavier on us than it was on those Pharisees. Saying, are, are you going to continue to do what these people did? Now what's so, so sad about this is that the people of Israel were God's chosen people. It was a covenantal relationship that began through Abraham. And he chose them to do what? To be the light, the hope, to share God's truth to the world. But they had gotten so corrupted that prophet after prophet after prophet, they kept crucifying and killing. All the way up to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And this is what hypocrisy does, is at some point, we get so far deep into it, so far into it that we can't see out of it and we really believe that we're right and it's true. And we're no longer trying to just keep everyone else around us to believe that we're this way. We actually think we are this way without our life lining up to it. It's so, there's such a huge chasm between the two. It's so, so dangerous. It's not something you just dabble with. Well, I'm just going to pretend a little this day. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, truly I say to you, all these things come upon this generation. Saying that all these things come upon you. Now it's so hard to hear this stuff. A lot of times we, we hear this like, great, we feel beat up. I'm a hypocrite. I'm fake. And I, I'm betting that all of us have some way in which each of us tend to be hypocritical with our mouth, with our actions, with our words, with our money with our relationships with our beliefs we, we we all wrestle in some way right but jesus like lets us exhale just a little bit in this next text it, it's a light exhale but you got you can almost miss it if you don't pay attention okay if we just leave, leave it to matthew we kind of leave a little heavy-hearted but let me let me share this so in 37 jesus leaving after talking to them so he's, he's, he's at this point he's out he's walked away he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your houses left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Matthew's doing a great job of laying out, and his purpose is to lay out Jesus as king, as Lord. But what we gain from the Luke account of this is, you know what Jesus does? When he's standing over Jerusalem, he weeps. He weeps. He stands over Jerusalem, utters a statement through tears. See, Jesus' motivation isn't to just condemn. 
In fact, he utters a question that's like so big. It's like, how often would I have gathered you? Most of us don't have a lot of experience with birds. I, I didn't either, but I had to read a little bit. But birds predominantly use their wings to protect their chicks. Hen is a common word for bird. It's not just a, a chicken here. So a bird, a, a swan will carry its, its babies on its back and put its wing over as it crosses deep water. Birds will use their wings to protect and, uh, they're, 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 they're little birds, or whatever they're called, chicks. I don't even know the words for it, right? Apparently I don't know enough about it. But either way, you get the point, right? They cover them. Twice in the Old Testament, in Isaiah and the Psalms, we get this beautiful picture of God covering us with his wings and in our protected from him. As John Jesus says through tears, how often I've just wanted to gather you. I just want to gather you. He's not looking at him and punch him in the face and say, go hey. He's saying, I've wanted to gather you so many times, but you reject and you reject and you reject, and therefore you can't be under my covering. See, Jesus' heart, even with the people that are about to crucify him, which, by the way, yours and my sins did that, so it's us included, but the people that are in his face, disagreeing with him, trying to entrap him, their unwillingness, those very people he's weeping over saying, I want to gather you. That changes this text for me, and it should you as well. God isn't looking at him and saying, man, here's where you're wrong. Lay it out. It's obvious. I see it clear as day. Figure it out and then come to me. Jesus has said, in fact, he promises even on the way to being crucified, I will continue to send you prophets and wise men and scribes. I'm going to continue to do it. You're going to continue to kill him, but I'm going to give you every opportunity to know me. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to extend this love. So why, why, why would we pretend to follow that? When in the very ending of his statement about the, the woes and how these Pharisees could not have been any more wrong, he ends it with tears saying, I've so wanted to gather you guys. I've so wanted you to be close to me. But you keep rejecting and you keep rejecting and that's what pretending does for us, guys, is we get to a spot where we pretend so much that we can no longer pretend anymore and hope that we're faking everyone else. We just believe it's true. And realistically, usually at that point, just in case you're wondering, everyone else around you knows you're pretending, but you don't. It switches. For the longest time, you can fake everyone else around you, but then when you finally believe it's just fully true, everyone around you goes, I don't know what that, I, mean, I can't trust anything that person says. They're never telling the truth. And then you just keep operating as, no, 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 this is it. This is the way it is. And Jesus says, I, you're, I, you rejected me too much. You rejected me too much. And so what Jesus is doing is he's giving us, I believe, a really clear picture of who he is. So when you and I go through life with our beliefs here, and our actions here, we're in the face of that love that Jesus shows us. In fact, it's pretty gross if you think about it, what Jesus went through for us. This whole, this whole like being beaten and beaten and beaten and spit on and shamed and, 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 and destroyed and then hung on a cross to drink all of God's wrath for you and me, like that is not a pretty thing. God makes it very beautiful when Jesus raises and defeats even the death that he experienced. 
but it's a, it's a, it's a gross image. It's not something like, oh, Fluffy Bunny is following Jesus. It's so easy. That's not, that's not what this is about. But Jesus does tell us right here that when you and I surrender ourselves to him as king, he brings us under his wings. And yes, at times it's going to hurt. At times he's going to have to yank us out of something that's going to be really, really painful. In fact, Jesus was pretty clear. To follow him, you must die to yourself. So it's going to be hard, but the difference between pretending and actually following him is that you're under his covering. You're, you're a part of his brood. You're, you're a co-heir with him in the kingdom of God, which means then you have the power in you to defeat all that you're wrestling with, including your own fakeness, means that you have his love to overwhelm you in your shortcomings. He expresses so much love in this one statement here. And when we pretend, we're just in the face of that saying, hey, who cares? That's what I, when I pretend to be something I'm not, that's what I'm essentially saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's really neat. God, you love me a lot. You did so many amazing things, a really kind of horrific thing for Jesus so that I could be in right standing with you, and that's awesome, and I love that for some distant future, but I just can't accept that for today in my work, in my relationships, in my money, in my time. I just would much rather go through the motions because this pretending is easier than this whole you being king and Lord and, and having to do what you ask of me. We're in the face of that. Now, what's amazing is that God doesn't shame us in that. He's not shaming these Pharisees. He's telling them, here's what you're doing wrong through tears. Here's, here's where you've missed it, and, I, and I'm going to keep sending people to you because I'm going to give you every opportunity to surrender to me as Lord and King because I know that I created you, and I know that for you to operate with joy and hope and peace, it actually means to be under me as King. I know you don't like that because you like your own king and you like to call yourself king every now and then or prince or princess or whatever it may be and you like to kind of be your own thing but trust me, it's, there's, that's, that's not, that's just pretend. That's built on nothing, on sand and, and the foundation of, of God and his work is built on me as the cornerstone. So stand on me. Live for me. Don't pretend. We're going to have uh, the band come up and we're going to worship and we say it's worship for I, I want to be really clear we, we're doing a song that most of us have probably heard a billion times okay it's a song that you know it's a song that that that, that we've heard over and over again it, it's called how we love how he loves and, and here, here's why I, I want to challenge you and you guys can do any of this okay you can you can do one or the other or none but I, I want to challenge you we've got to stop pretending I mean, we've got to stop pretending because here's, here's what we see about hypocrisy is left unattended, left unrepented of. We get to a spot where we start believing the lies that we're telling and, and doing. And that's a dangerous spot. Jesus has very clear words for that. It's a dangerous, dangerous spot. In fact, right after, and, and we'll talk more about this um, later, in 24.2, Jesus talks about the destroying of the temple. Okay? And I think this is so unique that this is right here. He says, he says, I tell you that not one stone will be unturned of this temple. This is about, about 30 to 40 years, depending on anywhere around there, 
before it happens in 70 AD. You know what you and I get on this, this tail end? We get history. And what happens in 70 AD? That Well, in about 66, the Jews try to revolt against Rome until ultimately Titus comes in and destroys this beautiful temple that has gold and everything else. I mean, just destroys it. In fact, Josephus has some writings that are very, very graphic about what happens to the remnants of people that, that, that try and hide in Jerusalem. It's horrific what happens. But, but here's, here's the thing. When they burned the temple with people in it, the, the gold that they used that you could see from distance when the sun would blind you melted. And so what did Rome do? They turned over every single stone to get that, that gold. So there was not a single stone unturned. I've been there modern day. You can't tell where it was began or ended or not. We have some kind of ideas, but this huge area, every single stone was overturned. So what do we have? We have Jesus prophesying and truth. You and I on the tail end can go, oh, that happened. Cool, okay, okay, good. So why, why then if that happened, wouldn't we take his word for the rest of this stuff? Right in the middle, Matthew just leans up, yeah, this is our king, and oh, by the way, he's right. We see it right now. And so when we come to the song, How He Loves, I want to challenge you to do two extremes, and then you guys can pick anything in the middle. The first one is, is my bet is, is some of us in here have been pretending for so long that we actually aren't sure if we're believing our pretend self anymore or not. I mean, we, we're at this spot where like, man, I, I'm fake here with my finances. I'm fake here with my words. I'm fake here with this relationship. I'm fake here with alcohol. I'm fake. I'm fake. I'm fake. I'm fake. In fact, I know at least 10 ways that God's word tells me to live this way, and I've chosen to do the opposite in blatant disregard to it. Then my challenge to you is to sit. Don't stand up and pretend, but let these words hit you <laughs> where it really matters. Because he, he does love you. That's the craziest thing. In spite of the 10 ways you're failing him to follow his word, the 10 ways, you're like, you can list them out. Like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. He doesn't come to you and go, well, Bren, I don't know what to do with you, buddy. You messed up again. No, he, he loves you. And we see it through his tears over Jerusalem. He loves you. And so maybe for you, it's just to sit and to allow the Spirit to break into that heart that's just been hardened and let Him break through and then soften you again and remind you that it's His love that propels you. It's His love that compels us to move forward. He's not some king saying, obey me or squash you. He's saying, obey me because your joy will be made full in that and you'll remain inside of my love. This isn't some condemning message without the love. In fact, this is the opposite. It's love that shares with you outside of that love, there is condemnation. And some of you, you've, you've forgotten that you lo- he loved you that much. And you, you, you know it, but you've lived, and you kind of have some areas you're working on. But, like, I want to encourage you just to stand up and to, like, you know, put your hand to your ear and, like, sing as loud as you possibly can. This doesn't help if you're tone deaf. Just, you know, it never helps me. Like, I can't, I sound worse. But either way. But you need to sing as loud as you possibly can because he does love you. And you're tired of pretending that he doesn't. And I mean just Felt it out, like not, no holding back, and not because you're worried about someone next to you thinking or your spouse going, wow, they, he, they, they really know how much he loves. And it's not about who's around you. It's about him and what you're doing with him. And maybe it's every variance in between. Some of you introverts are like, I can't sing that loud. I've tried. It just doesn't work. Fine. You're, you're, you get a pass. That's great. Do it in your car. Okay? Either, either way, like, stop pretending. My call is that you would, you, would, you would worship God not just for what you like about him, but you'd worship him as who he is, God. 
who displayed the most amount of love he possibly could to anyone. And, and, and because of that, we can then worship him fully. And for some of you, like I said, it may mean that you just need to sit. And that's okay. Sit. Let his spirit break in. Don't just go through the motions, guys. To be authentic means to truly, truly be real. And God has called us to be real, and he's given us a way to be real. He didn't just call us. He actually modeled and then died and rose again so that we could live. Pray, Father, thank you for your word. It is a good word as part as in spite of the fact that sometimes it's so hard to hear. Lord, there are so many areas in which I feel you and I know you are calling me to be more um, surrendered to you, more like you. And, and in some ways it's scary, God. In some ways it's scary to be in that position. But God, may I trust your ever, ever strong wing, your covering. And Lord, for, for those of us in the room that are, are struggling to, to see that, God, I pray that you would just breathe life into it. And God, for those of, uh, those of the people in the room that, are, that have been rejecting you and they've been hiding it behind some form of religiosity or, or pharisaical tendencies or they've just been pretending, God, would you um, break in? Would you break hard into their hearts? Would you overwhelm them with your love? And not the kind of overwhelm emotional love that we, they remember the love and then they go watch playoffs later and forget about it, but the kind of love that transforms our lives to be better and more like you. God, would we please stop pretending? Would you give us the strength and the ability to be surrendered to you as King and Lord in every aspect of our life? Would your Spirit lead us to be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ? For his glory we pray. Amen.